Hey, it's Joe Trapel. This is Caught Inside. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Caught Inside. This is the third episode of Seven, and it's only day five of our Australian quarantine. Today, I am joined by a very special guest on the show. You know him as the Spartan, the Tahitian Prince, Michelle Berez. Yorana, thanks so much for coming on. Yorana, everyone. Maite. Maiteiro. <laughs> so good. I wish I had more words. Oh, Manuya. What does Manuya mean again? When you cheers. Yeah. Oh, thank That's goodness. You should I'm, know. I'm glad. Yeah, I know that one pretty well. <laughs> uh, pretty cool, man. I'm so stoked to see you, first of all. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm feeling great. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, like every day is the same day, pretty much. <laughs> Every day is the same and on repeat. Um, I'm always, when I think about you, I think of your culture, obviously, and how much fun we have every year in Tahiti when you host us all, when we come to town. Do you grow up, you know, just for people out there wondering, do you grow up speaking Tahitian and, and French just equally the same, or is one kind of uh, more common than the other? Um, no, I was, we, we were talking, we were mixing it up like most of the time, like French and Tahitian, you know, when we grew up. Um, because you guys have to know, like, back in the day, in the 70s, like, Tahitians were not supposed uh, to speak in Tahitian at school, you know, like, French. They came and they said, like, okay, no more, like, traditions and stuff, no, no more dancing, no more uh, Tahitian speaking, only French, you know. And after that, like, it took a little time for the, for the, the young community to get back to it, you know. So it was really similar to what Hawaii went through as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's uh, you know, Hawaiians and Tahitian are the same same people. Um, Hawaiian came from uh, Reatea, and Reatea is part of the French Polynesia. So it's uh, it's the same thing. We have the same culture and pretty much the same history. So, with your kids now, are they growing up uh, learning a lot of Tahitian, and, and the culture side is really really prevalent in their studies? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You know, like wherever we go, like I try to explain to them what's going on and. At school, they learn Tahitians as, as well, and and we with uh with my mom and you know like we we start to talk to them a little bit, you know just to, a few words would be good for now, you know, and then when they grow up, like start to talk to them like fully, you know that's like that's how I see things, yeah. All right, on hey, Michelle, where were you born exactly? I was born on an island called Rurutu. It's a it's a place. It's an island further from Tahiti. Um, it's uh it's a it's it's cold over there you know cold it's the coldest place co compared to Tahiti but we moved to Tahiti when I was uh around like a few months maybe like six months you know eight months and then boom I you I live my whole life in Tahiti pretty much yeah was it an island that your family would go back to visit like do you still have family there or is is everything really based in Tahiti now uh, everything is based in Tahiti my dad used to work there so my mom followed him there. They, they stayed there for a couple of years. And because my dad is a teacher, so they, they stayed there. And then when they, he was finished it, when he finished it, boom, they went back to Tahiti. Ah, oh, very cool. And, and your father, famous for being a waterman himself, right? A, a really established outrigger canoe paddler. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He loved canoe when he was younger. Oh, now he doesn't do it anymore because he have a, has a shoulder problem. But uh, he's a huge fan of any kind of sports, but like soccer or especially, uh, especially uh, how do you say, canoe? Yeah. 
Ah, oh, that's so cool. Uh, what a great upbringing on the water, just like you're doing with your kids uh, these days. I want to dive into this this travel scenario because, well, Michelle, you're a veteran. You're one of the veterans <laughs> and the all-stars of the tour, but you've never been in a travel situation quite like this. I noticed a post from your one of your best friends, Jeremy Flores, where he was in a situation where he had to actually fly from Tahiti to Paris to Los Angeles, to then Sydney, to get into quarantine. Were you on the same flight route to get here? Yeah, I was on the same program. So we left on the 26th of February to France. So we landed there on the 28th. We spent like three days in Paris in the hotel room because uh, we pretty much were quarantined over there as well. And then boom, straight to to Los Angeles where we spent like uh, three to four days. I don't even remember. But we tried to stay like low key, you know. We we didn't want to uh, to to get the the virus or anything before the flights to here to uh, to us. So basically, what we did, like we just like going to get food, went back home, sports at home, and that's it, you know. But then and then we jump on the flight on the shuttle with all the WSA guys all the way here and straight to that, you know, amazing room. <laughs> wow! So you actually had a warm up quarantine. In, in France to, to kind of get yourself settled into this one. You guys by far have been through the most to get to where you are today. I and mean, even though today's day five, uh, you already had a few days of quarantine behind you, man. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Insane. Cause especially when you know, like to come to Sydney, uh, it only takes seven hours from Tahiti, you know? <laughs> so we have to do like 20 hours. Oh and then gosh. back to 10 hours and then 15 again. You know, it's uh, it's the longest flight you could ever have. That's like staying by Kira and you want to check Snapper and you drive to Bells first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my. Fully. Uh, well, I love that you've got a big smile on your face and you're going with the flow. Um, I, you've got your whole family with you. I'm sure that helps a lot as well. But also I can't imagine with your boys how, how you're managing their energy uh, and kind of uh, their expectations as well. Kind of, you're, you're obviously in this with your own mindset of preparing, but being a dad and letting them know, hey, we've got a few more days of this. Are, are they doing okay? And, and how's that been for you? You know, the kids are pretty easy. Um, I, thought, I thought it would have been hard, but it's actually easier for them compared to us, you know, because they don't really understand um, what's going on. They just like go with the flow. They just like, okay, whatever, wake up, we do whatever dad says, you know? So I already told them we're going to stay 14 days here and we're going to work like school days every day uh, for like three hours. That's what we do when we, when we, uh, as soon as we wake up, like from nine to 12, uh, it's school day. And then after that, they can do whatever they want, you know? So it's pretty much basic days for them, but just just by staying in the same room. And your your wife's a teacher by trade, right? Yeah. So that's nice. She can uh, be the teacher, lesson plans, and make sure that they're learning and staying educated on the road. True, true. Because it's pretty difficult because I don't really know. Uh, it's like their, their, how do you say, their homework are pretty easy, but to explain to them how it works, how to, to understand, to make them understand, it's the hardest part, you know? 
So it's hard as a, as a dad. I've never do, done that before. Like I, I've been yelling at my kids, man. <laughs> they hate me already, man. So sometimes like when I get too nervous or whatever, I just like, we just switch. My wife does it and, you know. Dad's got to wear a lot of hats. I mean, first you're, you're Michelle Brez, the athlete. And do you have like an alter ego as a dad where the Spartan comes in? The Spartan is the disciplinarian <laughs> when that comes out of you. You're like, I am Spartan. Listen, do your homework today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like every day is the same thing. Yeah. I'm like that with them. And it's, uh, you know, I have to be, I have to show them what's, uh, how do you say, what's, what's, uh, a good way to think, you know, like uh, responsibilities, you know, like to be responsible. And I want them to understand that. I want them to learn how to, like, how to deserve to get something, you know, like, for example, they want a, a present, they want to play something, you know, I'm like, hey, you want this? You have, you got to do that first, you know? I want you to be, I, I want, I want you to know that dad wants the best for you, but I want you to be the best first, you know? So that's what I do with them every day. That's beautiful. Is that is that how you were, you were raised in a similar way? Were it, nice, disciplined, but you you knew that you had to earn your rewards growing up as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's more like you know, like basic stuff at home. You know, like my dad always like teach us to uh, to respect everyone, to to be nice to everyone, to uh, to uh, how do you say to my dad and mom, sorry, and to uh, to do whatever it takes to succeed and just to be a good example. You know, so. And then after that, by traveling, you know, life gives you like even on the hallway, like uh, to uh, to to make you understand how hard it is to, to succeed and and how good you get you get when you succeed. So, you know, it's 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 part of life pretty much. Yeah. Well, you've surfed in a lot of events, Michelle, uh, established on tour. When now, days in 2021, we think of yourself, uh, you know, Ace, your your buddy Jeremy, Adriano, uh, obviously Kelly, uh, as uh, the elder statesman on tour. But now your prep is totally different coming into this event. You've got a little Red Bull athlete zone here in your quarantine room with a bike, a rower. I think you did a workout already this morning. Can you let us know what you did? Uh, no, not this morning. I did work out. Uh, I did it last night. Um, I usually like work out around noon. I did one hour workout and then one in a one hour and a half in the afternoon around like five, you know, just to do something. But, uh, I usually do the bike. I, I bike for like 40, 45 minutes and jumping rope for like 15 minutes just to like, no, not a warmer, but just like to sweat. You know, I like to sweat a lot and after that, just like some lifting weights and some abs, some, you know, like simple stuff, you know, like um, push-ups, like um, whatever it takes to, uh, for my body, like some, some squats as well, because we don't really do anything. So I need to stay focused on that. A lot of cardio too. And when everything's done, little stretch, more days over. That's great. I remember asking Andy King once, it was like, well, how do you keep Michelle in shape? And he's like, that's him, man. He, he, I think he was born that way. It's, it's genetics, but it looks like you have a pretty serious routine. Do you think you're working out more um, than you would when you're prepping for an event since you're in this space and you can't surf? Or do you feel like it's a similar amount of training that you normally do, even if you could go outside? Um, usually before I train for you know, like at the beginning of the year, I, I take like two months, you know, out of everything. You know, I just go in my bubble. Like I train a lot, 
I surf a lot. I only take care of myself and my family. You know, no more parties, no more friends or whatever. I, I go jujitsu. I, I, I love jujitsu. I go train jujitsu with my friends still, but that's it. It stops there. But uh, over here, the nice, the, the good thing is um, I can focus on it by myself. You know, I know the kids are good. We've been, their schools are good. You know, like um, everything we have to do with them are, you know, set. So now I can focus on myself. And, and I remember like doing, uh, that's what I was doing yesterday. I was doing a bicycle. And I put some uh, some of my hits. Um, I was just watching like my some old hits that I've done before, and you know, just to to stay in the rhythm, you know, like just to stay focused and stuff. And I feel like that's to get back on the on the competition mode. That's the best thing right now for me. Yeah, it's so cool when you bring up uh, some old hits because I have some favorites for you that I like to rewatch uh, in your career. Uh, but I want to know yours. What are some of those? those ones that you play on repeat to get that healthy competitive energy going? Oh, definitely the Bali contest, you know, um, it's, um, you know, it's a wave that I really like. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah so good. Man. Your clips there are unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. I just feel like the, the wave is, you know, is, is, is such an amazing wave and the right is powerful and, and inspiring and turns and it's everything that uh, my surfing likes, you know, so that one in Haleiwa. Whoa. Those are amazing, man. Especially when you repeated success at Karamas, which felt sort of like a, kind of a wild card event. It's, it hasn't been there every year. And when it showed up, you had a, just a direct connection with that new spot on tour where, you know, there's this kind of familiarity with repeat events that you go to with the traditions involved in them. And I felt like you, you really adapted to that kind of spontaneous event environment. I mean, even back in the search series event that Rip Curl put on in Puerto Rico, you had a semifinal there. So it seemed to be a strength when you walk in with a clean slate and, and you could turn in success. Yeah. Even Margaret River, you know, when he first comes on tour, uh, like, as you say, it's a, it's a good, every, every time there's a new event, it's oh, it always been working out good for me. Um, I've done like, semi-finals like finals and i won Margaret the first event ever so to me like it's a it's a good opportunity because it's new for everyone i don't know i have that connection with uh i can learn maybe faster in a new new place you know but definitely be, it's just because it's a right and it's powerful you know it's it helped me a lot yeah really looking at what we have in front of us you know getting out of uh, quarantine, surfing again, but looking at the list of events, it has that fresh feeling at a lot of the venues. I mean, even for someone like you, you were always able to not only have longevity on tour, but you could rely on your CT performances to stay on tour. So it wasn't like you were going to Newcastle all the time. Uh, you weren't in that region where North Narrabeen is. And then we've got Rottnest Island. We've got a lot of these opportunities where everyone's going to be trying to figure out things on the fly. Are you excited about this four event series that's about to start? I'm super happy, man. You can't even imagine. Um, especially like as soon as we had the, the green light from WSL saying like, okay, it's on, you know? When they say like, okay, it's on, like it was probably like two weeks before we left. That's when my mind went completely like open. You know, I was, I was like, whoa, finally I can, I know where I'm going now. You know, I have goals. In my life right now so when i knew about um weather i didn't know about that wave i never came here before never come here before and then now i've been 
I got second there at the pro, at the World Junior once. And you know, to me, like to come, especially to come here in Australia, the weather is nice. The people are good. Um, the waves are amazing as well. And to bring my family here, it's the best place I could bring them to. You know, so to me, Take it me was a that, good opportunity. Uh, Sorry, Michelle. Take me to that North Narrabeen final real quick. Who was in that final with you? Oh, it was Kiko Abacaso. Bam, bam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, man. It was a long time ago. Maybe like uh, I was 21, I think. 20, 20. I was 20 years old. So like what? 15 years, 15 years ago. And yeah, it was good. It was Narrabeen was fun. You know, like uh, I was still a junior. It was a final and got second. So I had the wild card for all the QS events, the big stars ones. And, you know, that's that's how I got into like professional surfing more. That was a quick transition for you. Next thing you know, you're a rookie uh, back in 2009. Uh, noticing too in Hawaii, you uh, had your family with you there. I think one of your sons had a birthday in Hawaii. And, and then now they're all here with you. Is that been a decision with your family that they're coming with you no matter where the tour ends up this season? uh not really you know like seriously it took me like a full month you know after hawaii uh i was thinking way too much about what's going on around the world you know it's as as you as you already know it's a hard situation for everyone and i didn't want to bring them here and because i already had the sickness i already had the covid so it doesn't matter to me anymore and you know, just to bring them, there, there was more chance for them to, to get the, the virus. It took me a little while to, to, you know, to digest it, all of that. But I talked a lot with my wife and we agreed about them to come because it was hard. It was going to be super hard for me if I was alone here for three months, you know, like for the, the kids, it, they don't care, man. <laughs> they see me in camera like in like 30 seconds, they're good with it. They do their life at home. They don't care. But uh, for me, yeah, three months, I don't feel I would have made it, especially that time. You know, like this time, like it's, uh, I'm, I'm getting close to, to the end of my career. So it's getting hard to get like motivate, more motivations and stuff. And, and when, they have, when I have them with me, well, it, everything gets easier. Oh, good to have that system. I'm so happy there with you to hang through this amazing time in pro surfing. You mentioned uh, how your boys are fine. They can say hi. They know dad's doing his job, but it probably has to do with the special place where they get to call home, you know, life in Tahiti on the water every day. Uh, are they in the water just as much as you are uh, enjoying the ocean in Tahiti? They, um, not really, not, not as much, but we're trying to go as much as we can. We live right, right in front of the water, but it's weird. Like i never grew up in front of, uh, of the ocean. I grew up like a little bit further. Um, but, uh, no, it's just, you know, it's life is different now, you know, like, uh, we go, we go in the ocean now and then, but, uh, we, we, we try to go at Papara, the beach break over there, like in the river where they can play with, with the other kids and. And my friend Hira or, or Steven's kids as well, you know, and they, they, they can go surf as well. So it's, uh, it's a bit far from my house. It's like 20 minutes away, but we try to go there like once a week at least, you know. It's, it's hard when you travel a lot. It's hard for them to like understand what's, what the ocean is, you know. Like when I get home, I try to bring them as much as I can in the ocean. But when I'm, when I'm not home, nobody does my job. So it's, uh, it is what it is. 
Of course. So you mentioned some key players that the Globe has been able to see in the surfing spotlight here at Tiranatufa. I think you're talking about Steven Pearson. Yes, exactly. As well. Uh, how are they doing? And are, are, is the, are those the guys that you surf with when you are home? Um, they're good. They're good. Hira is uh, the French coach for, coach for, uh, for the Olympics in um, the Paris Olympics in uh, 2024. So we've been working like most of the time when I'm home, like filming and stuff. Steven is, uh, has his home, uh, how do you say, like a uh, safe school back at home. He takes really good care of these two kids as well. And he's doing great. Like everything's perfect for him at home. Oh, that's so great to hear. It's such a special community for you guys. And you've been representing all of Tahiti for so long, which, you know, you brought up the Olympics coming up later, which uh, could be right around the corner from where you live, which would be amazing to see the world really focus on this amazing event we've had on tour for a very long time, which brings me to this question, Michelle. I remember, gosh, 2010, I saw you, you're going really quick. We're going like, okay, help us pronounce, you know, what we first heard as Chopu. And then we started saying, no, no, it's an O, Chopo. And I remember you were laughing at us. You're like, you better just say Chopes, because it has so many (laughs) nicknames. Now time has gone on and we have these meetings going. We want to say it perfectly right. And we've kind of landed on Chopo. Uh, How do you want us to to really pronounce it? And and how how should it be heard? Uh, Normally we we call, I mean, Teahupo. Is, yeah, is that what you say you know? with your, your friends when you're going surfing? Do you do you say that or is it more of a nickname? Do you do you shorten? No, it? no. I don't I don't I don't say nicknames anymore. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like it's I, I rather say the real name, you know, especially for my kids. Like I try to pronounce every Tahitian's every Tahitian like names like properly for them to understand, you know. Like for example, Mooria, which is the next island, a lot of the, the people now say Moz, you know, I'm going to Moz. You know, and when I talk to them, I'm like, you know, we're going to Mooria, you know, there's Tapuna. People say Taps. Are we going to surf Taps? Um, and I always say, no, we go surf Tapuna. I go surf Teahupo. That's the real pronunciation, you know, it's uh, just for, for them to understand what's, what's real and what's not. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for that, Michelle. So I'm going to give it a shot. Teahupo. 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 Yes. <laughs> okay, great. That from now on, that's all I'm going to work on because uh, I think we're taking the ch out of it. Te'ahupo. Te'ahupo. I'm going to practice yes. that. Excellent, man. What a beautiful world. Gosh, such a, a big impact on the surfing world is this quiet little community that we always referenced as the end of the road because the road literally does stop there. But it's changed quite a bit. I mean, there wasn't a lot of surfers that lived out there. It was just like even yourself driving in, driving back home. Um, it seems like all that's changed, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. People start to realize how um, there's uh, 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 the potential of that wave, you know, like especially the kids, the family, the, the parents that bring their kids uh, all the way to Tehupo and live there. And, you know, like there's a lot of young, the young generations, uh, they all come from from around Tehupo now. There's a Kaoli Vast, uh, you know, he's a European champion. And there's there's other little girls. There's Vahine uh, Fieru. She's from another island, but she lives in Tehupo as well. You know, they all move there because they understood the potential of that wave. In Tahiti, there's only one wave that matters, and that's it. That's the one. 
So now it's turning into that same kind of energy that's always been around pipeline. You have to live there. You have to surf there and put in that time. All the young kids are out there so early these days. And now we're experiencing that uh, in your home. So that's amazing to see that community change. How has the lineup changed? Now when you go for a free surf, is it as quiet as it used to be? Um, there's, there's just more locals now, you know? Like, uh, especially during the, the COVID situation, there's the flight was were closed and there's nobody nobody from overseas that were going to surf at home, you know? So basically all the locals from town, they understood that and they all came to Tehupo to surf as well. That means when the swell, whenever the swell was good, boom, it was packed of locals. And that's, as to me, it's bad because <laughs> you have to wait more, you know, like because yeah, everybody <laughs> respect each other, you know, there's more, more locals. So there's more turns and stuff, but it's good to see different people, different, uh, different guys that we don't use to see. But uh, at the end of the day, I get my waves. So I'm happy with it. Uh, I mean, I'm sure uh, being a leader in that pack and someone who's been so established for so long at such a dangerous wave, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that you still you know, you have so much pride and passion for all of Tahiti and for the wave and for the safety. When I heard uh, during the pandemic, there was a swell coming and you had a big voice saying, hey, let's do the right thing. And for how hard that was for you to do as a passionate surfer who knows how good a swell is going to be at that location. And you actually made a call and said, hey, let's let this swell go by for the safety of our community. And so ultimately that you could get back on the road and do your job. Yeah, yeah, it was it was tough. I was thinking about that for like a week before that happened. And you know, everybody was scared like from from you know what watching stuff on internet like what's going what was going on around the world and and we didn't know what was really going on. So at that point and and I remember like I was talking to my friends and stuff and I knew um if everybody goes surf Tehupo that during that day, uh, it will bring more people to come and watch, you know, because we make the show and all the taxi boat will be full of, you know, like of uh, of tourists, you know, because they all come for an hour. There's there's like 10, 10, 20 people in this, on the same boat and they're not from Tahiti. Most of them are not from Tahiti. They come from the plains and stuff. That's the people that brought the, the virus at home. It's not there for, that's the way it is, you know? So I was more thinking about... Um, the old, the elders back at home, like in Tehupo, like I was like, wow, imagine like if I go surf, I bring the people and, and one of the old people that from Tehupo get sick because of me, you know, pretty much. So I talked to a few of my friends, they, they all agreed. And then I, I did that message. Yeah. True leader, Michelle. Uh, so much, so cool to hear it from where we were sitting of your passion for the community and uh, how much that wave and environment really means to you. You mentioned quickly some of the younger generation that has moved there and is really dedicated to representing on tour. I got to put you on the spot. I know there's a big list, but in your mind, if you could only pick one Tahitian that can qualify for the tour, that has all the skill sets to be there and be a contender, who will it be? Um, it's tricky because there's two uh, right now. Um it's yeah i don't know i feel like for now like in my mind right now maybe mihimana bright could be the one you know mihimana because just because we, we've been surfing a lot together i've seen like how how he surfs now he improves so much in in his surfing and 
and his like mental side as well, you know. And he's been doing a lot of stuff like his way is right there. He just needs to have a couple of comps. So I'm just asking the WSL to bring back, you know, the contest again. But uh, yeah, he's the one. Ah, oh, very cool. Uh, we and we've gotten to see a lot of him, luckily, around the world on the qualifying series and charging big days at Tehupo, which is great yeah. to see. Also, looking at, um, gosh, your representation on tour. Obviously, before that, you had to get to where you were to qualify to travel around the world. At just the way, by the way you sound, I could tell you you really care about the next generation. You're passionate about Tahitian surfing. Who were some of the elders? before you that maybe helped you or gave you advice or, or were those people around to to realize your potential and kind of help you get on the road and realize your dreams um to tell you the truth there was there was always been one guy that helped me my whole life you know um he used to be my neighbor like i used to play with his little brother a lot his name is teva zaveroni he's a he's a soccer player back at home and a, such a good surfer, you know, he was the best from from our like our place, little town. He was the best surfer out there. So every time when I was going surfing, I was I was such, I was a little kid and I was looking at him surfing. The waves were small, man. It was like one to two foot max. You know, it never gets bigger <laughs> than that. But to us, he was huge. But uh, he was ripping out there. And then and one day he saw surfing and he was like, OK, kids, uh, tell your parents tomorrow we're going to have a reunion. We're going to, I'm going to make a, a surf club for you guys, you know? So he, he took all the kids from, uh, from, for, from our little town and he, he did a surf club. So he, he drove us like to all the contests around Tahiti for years, you know, all of that for free, just to, to see someone, some of us, like one of us succeed. So then I re he realized, okay, there's a good opportunity for me to succeed. So he, he introduced me to a, Another good friend of mine, his name is Dev Kelly. He's an Australian that lives in uh, Tahiti. He has a couple like surf shops over there. And he's the one that like, introduced me like into like professional surfing. He, he sent me to Australia to surf with the pro juniors and stuff. Like I, I never thought about that, but uh, I didn't have money at that time. So he paid for everything like, okay, go there. You, you're going to do this, do that. But when I got to Australia, I, I didn't speak English. I couldn't speak English. So... I was doing the comps. I was losing super early, like first round, second round, like every single time. Like I, I was losing my mind. I couldn't speak English and I was losing, you know. So the first year was so hard. The second year got better. I, I, I spoke like better English and I made a semifinal, a final, a semifinal, sorry. And from that, he's like, okay. So he introduced me to, uh, to a surf brand. It was Quicksilver at that time. And when I was 19 years old, that was my first like sponsor, main sponsor, yeah. And then everything just changed. And all of a sudden you were, you were getting these trips around the world, getting a chance to qualify. And before that, we saw you appear in wild cards where you definitely had this instant success. Uh, Michelle, I'm loving this journey. I want to dive into more of your career as you began on the championship tour back in 2009. We're going to take a quick break and we'll hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. Still hanging with Michelle Perez. <laughs> Michelle, I love your journey and talking about it. the people, the key players in your life that, that really made you realize your career getting your first sponsor from Quicksilver and then looking at, you know, the global spotlight. It was uh, amazing when I look back at your first heat ever in the CT Jersey, Michelle, do you remember who was in that heat with you? Oh, wow. Before, before your rookie year as a wild card. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was, it was in France. Um, I, I had to surf against, I think it was Andy. You nailed yeah, it. Yeah, I surfed. Yeah, in France against Andy. Yeah, it was. Imagine yourself like you—it's your first city event ever, and then you have to surf against Andy. You know, like <laughs> that's like, what okay, you did. Whatever. You talked yeah. about the tough roads of Australia, trying to learn how to win. Well, not only did you surf with Andy, and, and Ben Dunn was in the heat as well, but you won that heat. Yeah, I did. I did. True. Were, were were you stressed out? You're you're looking at Andy Irons, a three-time world champ, and and it's your first heat on the main stage. What were you feeling at that time? Oh, uh, now you're saying like, yeah, I do remember a few things. Like I remember he was battling, and I had Andy, you know, and I was like, okay, well, whatever, just do whatever you can, you know, like the best <laughs> as you can. So I didn't expect much. I just did my job. I want. I didn't want to surf like next to him, so I just let him do whatever he has to do, you know, because he was going for the world title and uh, alongside with Kelly at that time. So I just stay at my spot and did my, my uh, whatever I had to do and I ended, ended up winning it. Yeah. The interesting part of that, Michelle, was the scenario kept repeating itself, even currently through, throughout your career, when you had big names, you would turn in great results. You know, the next year... You, you know, you got past Kelly in that event. You beat Parco the next year as a wild card. And then when I look at the eras you've been through, there's that time when it was Mick, Joel, Kelly winning everything. We're talking world titles. That was right when you're getting on tour. And I look at your records with Mick and Kelly and Joel, and you had some big heat wins against them. And I, it always reminded me of how you started. When you're as a wild card, I felt like the biggest names maybe brought the best out of you. Was that something that you were actually pinpointing in your career where you felt more energy against the world champs on tour? Oh, fully, fully. You know, they're the reason why you got on tour too, you know? Like from from watching them in the surf movies or in the magazine and, you know, like being that kid that always wanted to be like them, to be able to surf against them, you know, like to be able to have the chance to, to surpass them, you know, like in the heat. It's uh, to me was uh, a great opportunity, and I looked that way like, okay, this is my chance, you know, to shine. So I'm gonna do everything that I can to succeed, and that sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't. But uh, the goal remained the same, you know. I did my best. If I if I win, fine, perfect. If I don't, fine. 
I did the best I can do. I, I you had so many headlines attached to your name in big. Remember your rookie year at J Bay? There was all that sand that was kind of at the end of super tubes, and it was just funneling and unbelievable. And you had Mick Fanning. Yeah. Must have been round two. And was that the heat? You had a perfect 10 in that heat. Multiple barrels, that big hack. And all of a sudden, mix out of the event in round two at J-Bay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the waves were pumping, man. Like, as good as it gets. I've never seen J-Bay like that. I mean, I, I, I only go there like once a year. But like that year was so crazy. There were so many barrels. Like, I remember like... um I got my 10 and I got an eight or something after that, but I was, I was, I was winning and Mick was needing a nine something, but he could get it. Like it's Mick, you know? And then that one wave that came and it was way too deep. He had priority. So that wave that came like, and, and he looked at me and I was at this perfect spot. Like I would have get another 10 for sure. Like no doubt, you know, and he looked at me and he lost his priority, but going for it. And he didn't go, he let it go when I, when I let it go as well just because he knew, you know, I was like, no, I could have got two tens, but he <laughs> oh knew, my God. he had to let it go. Unbelievable. That, that, me that memory was huge uh, for your career. You can't continue to have standout moments uh, throughout your career against the best guys in the world. And it was cool to just look at your records with even like guys like Taj, you, you happen to be undefeated over Taj in your career. Uh, you've got a crazy streak with Kai Otten. You've never lost to him, 4-0. Kolohe and yourself, you're 5-0 over Andino, <laughs> which those stats for us are crazy. In, in sport, it makes it really exciting. But it also allures to you, since I have you here, is like, are there people that you go in with so much confidence where you go, okay, this is this is wrapped before it starts? Uh, as a veteran, you know this, the mental psyche of being like, I've already won before this heat begins. And then give me the contrast. Was there anyone that you actually didn't want to deal with because tactically you just didn't want anything to be a part of it? Uh, it all depends on who do you surf against and where, especially, you know, what kind of waves. And um, it's, uh, it's uh, how can I say, it's, it's just a matter of what you see during that day, like the, the conditions and stuff. And, and I know, like, for example, I have more chance to win to win than, than and anybody else at uh, Karamas, for example, you know? So I know whoever I have for my hits, like it's uh, it's gonna be a tricky one, but if I'm on the, the best waves, boom, that's it. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna win no matter what. But um, I don't know, there's a few people that have, have been doing that, as you said, but like the opposite way was, you know, like it's weird. Like I had a lot of Medina's hits, where uh, I, I felt like, okay, it's on, it's on. And then he always ended up beating me, you know? I have some Julian's hit as well. And it's weird. And now Kelly, like, Kelly, like, every time I have Kelly, I always do good, but he always end up by, beat, by uh, beating me, you know? So <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> I did my best, but come on, you know? Like, he's, he's way older than I am, but he serves as good as ever, you know? He's, uh, he's Kelly, so... It's amazing that he might come. I, I hope he's going to come for at least Margaret River or, you know, one of those events where power uh, power is needed for surfing. It, it's really cool how competitors say that. It's like the opportunity to be able to surf against Kelly. And, and you say how he gets you at the end, but you've actually had quite a few wins over him as well over your career. 
But what's that, what's that importance to of of having the goat, the greatest of all time, in the jersey with another opportunity to surf against? It feels like obviously fans are going, "Oh no, we got to get him here." But it's a mutual respect with all the the top thirty four as well. When Kelly's there, it, it makes that event so much more intense and and so much more important to win. It sometimes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you know, because it's Kelly. Kelly's the reason why we're all here now. To tell you. It's, it is what it is. Like he brought surfing like at the highest level of 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 our sport. Like he's he's the guy. He's the reason why I surf now in in the world tour. You know, because of because of him. Because he's amazing. He's been like he's still on tour. He's proving now, still proving that he can um um surf at his best level, especially at that age. You know, he's he, he's doing whatever it takes to uh to be the champ. And like from you know from outside outside of surfing from eating well like stretching and and like no alcohol whatever like he's just that person that does everything perfectly so it's a good role model for everyone and to have him to surf against him like in a surfing event is uh it's crazy because you know like he's the he's the person that does everything perfectly you know so you want to beat that person you know for like 30 minutes 30 minutes after that we're still friends but 30 minutes, no friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the way, uh, you've had four wins against Kelly. Kelly has six. So 10 matchups, he's leading 6-4. I feel like that's an incredible stat against the greatest of all time. You did bring up diet and how well he takes care of himself, which brings up a question for you from your fans on Instagram. Uh, Caroline J. Pate from the South Shore of Oahu really wants to know about your diet and how much it's changed in quarantine. How do you get food into your hotel? And have you been able to stay on any sort of diet restriction that you may have to compete soon? Yeah. Um, during the quarantine, like we, uh, we eat less, that's for sure, because we don't uh, do much. So I wish I could as say well, the like, same. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I have my kids, so I'm like, okay, go slow. But uh, no, I'm I'm trying to uh, I'm focused right now on the next maybe next two three months, you know, because we're gonna travel a lot. So this quarantine will be like the the beginning of all of that. So I'm just eating well. Like I, I order like some food from Woolworth, like some uh, uh, a lot of vegetables, a lot of uh, fruits and stuff to eat in the morning, and we get food from uh, from the hotel as well. But sometimes it's not exactly what, what, what you're looking for, you know, like you, you want to have some protein. Um, you want to have some carbs as well. Like it, it, it depends on what you do. But like uh, now, like I eat a lot of vegetables. I, I always eat salad at midday and at night. In the morning, I don't eat much. I just eat uh, maybe like one or two bananas. Uh, it's going to last and maybe a piece of bread like when I'm hungry. And I love to have uh, uh, ginger in the morning. It lasts all day. Um, I don't drink coffee. Uh, I try not to because um, it doesn't do well on my body. I don't feel like I feel the energy, but at the same time, it's like it's, it's not, I don't look at things straightly. When I eat ginger, it's the opposite. You know, it's, uh, everything's good for me. So, so is that the first thing that you intake in your body? Ginger. Like I, I eat the banana first to have something in my body and then I take the ginger. Yes. And you'll feel energy from that, but more focused. And more focused. Yeah. 
I might have to send this to Italo because he's probably on his ninth cup of coffee by now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> that guy drinks so much coffee, man. Uh, oh, that's cool. Have a, like a coffee company. He should. I mean, it's great to hear how in tune you are. You know how food will make you react as an athlete, and you're trying to actually stay light as far as your intake of food. And which also leads me to another great question uh, from Ralph Jamerson, coming from Florida, wants to know where the name Spartan came from. Who gave it to you? And, uh, why do you think it stucks for so long? It's a, it's a great question, Michelle. When you have a heat, we say Spartan as much as we can. It's got to be the coolest nickname out there. <laughs> oh, man. It's a, it's a pretty easy story, actually. It's a, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys remember that 300 movie, right? When Spartan oh, yeah. movie came out. Yeah, it's, uh, it all come, comes out from that. Like We all watched with my friend Alario and went to the theater and watched it. And we all came back to the surfing spot at the Ahupo and and we just like screaming Spartan, like, oh, like, you know, like warriors and stuff. Cause it was actually big. And I remember like getting close out and I was screaming like Spartan, like that. <laughs> and everybody was like, yeah, you know, like something so childish, you know, <laughs> it's, um, and then at, at the end of the day, it just stuck to my, to, to my head, man. Like everybody started calling me Spartan and then boom till now. I don't. I can't think of a better way to have a nickname, though, because you were feeling like a Spartan that day. Those Spartans were some of the most feared warriors in ancient times. This is like fifth century BC, and then you're able to channel that a gigantic show with. That's a, that's amazing story. I love that. Mm-hmm. And what a great crew to to share that nickname with. Your friends always give you nicknames. Usually, it's ones you don't like, but it's good if you could kind of channel yeah. your own. Which is, <laughs> it's the a, way to go. Yeah, this one is a lucky one, man. Speaking of friends, uh, Jeremy Flores, you guys have been lucky enough to share a lot of great memories on the road together and now in Tahiti as well. And uh, I you know, can't get away from matchups as well. It's relatively even, 4-3, I think, in Jeremy's favor. And tell me your favorite heat that you've had with him before I tell you mine. Uh, oh, that, the best heat he ever had and we ever had was definitely the one at the Ahupo, huh? um, Code Red 2011. It yeah, it was that. That was the year. He won the AI award as well because uh, he made the quarter. But um, I lost that hit uh, with uh, maybe 19 points, something like that. And I was comboed. That's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was comboed. Yeah, he got, he got 20 points. He got two tens in that hit. So the waves were amazing. You know, he was like... As soon as the set comes, whoever had the priority was going, no matter what, you know, like the biggest one comes, boom, he goes. So he ended up like, I remember like there was one set that came and he was big and, and it was his turn, you know? And I was looking at him like, well, what, is he going to go? Like, you know, like really? <laughs> <laughs> it's, this, this one's big, you know, like this one's huge. And I remember him looking down and he went just one like, Boom, start panning as fast as he could and he got a wave and boom, everybody was screaming. And I was like, oh no, he got he got it, he got a 10. You know, I was like, oh no. I took the second one, but the second one was a bit smaller. But and then I they they had the whitewash on it, you know, from his wave. So it wasn't as good as his one. But he won his one was just perfect, like the the dream wave. And he ended up like with two tens and and you know, like it was it was one of those hits where you always remember your whole life. 
Oh, so you just brought me there, Michelle. And just to get everyone up to speed, code code red, toe swell the day before that was on. Morning was so scary. And it was almost not surfable at the, what we thought at the time. There were still toe sets. And then it, the contest was on. And two good friends going head to head. Jeremy got the perfect heat, two tens. You had a 9.43 as your high mark, 8.7 to back it up. And the cool part about the meaning of that heat is uh, that heat stands the test of time, but one of the all-time greats in surfing history. And for you to share it with a friend like Jeremy and for you to bring it up as your favorite heat, even with a loss, makes it really known how really monumental that matchup was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's crazy because I always knew Jeremy was good at the Ahupo. You know, he's always been one of the guys that he's the top, for sure, like one in the top five best surf uh, rider, tube rider in the world to me. You know, he's uh, the hoopo and pipe. Boom. Jeremy is right there for sure. And so to have a hit against him, like in one of the place where he's actually the best at, to me was 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 good too. You know, like he's so he's one of the best. So to to be able to beat the best, I have to go through him. But I never did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, since still now you know yeah michelle looking at another year on tour that we can't compare to any others uh do you yeah because i felt like i felt a lot of fire from you during the the break during the pandemic when the the tour was off Uh, i remember hearing from different sites or interviews that you were just so ready to compete you were just the fire was maybe lit more than ever are you still right there today is your commitment to winning a world title just as strong as it always has been yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, like like as I told you before, like two weeks before I I heard about from the WCSA, it's on. You know, like I was like I was released. Like I was like, oh, finally, I have a goal in my life. So now I, I am gonna train for something. You know, I have a somewhere where I need to be. So basically, um, the the Olympics comes this year, so we have to be ready for that as well. And if we have the world tour at the same time, whoa, that's that's going to be a, such a good year. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm I'm trying to like uh, get ready for for longer term, you know, like a long leg. And by the end of August, we we're gonna have time to 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 party. Let's say party like be normal, like like everyone else. But I'm just gonna focus for a couple of months. So yeah, I'm ready. I'm fired up. I think your first bet, uh, your best result in your rookie season on tour was at Lower Trestles that year. You got a quarterfinal finish, and so you had that early success on a very high performance wave, releasing that unbelievable power carve that you have. And now with the news of the Rip Curl WSL Finals, changing uh, a year that's been changed so much, adds this excitement coming in September with the top five in the world facing off for a world title. You finished fifth in the world, you know, back in 2014. How do you see this format changing and how do you think the viewing experience is going to be for fans around the world? Uh, I like it, to tell you the truth. I really like it. I like the the fact that um, the top five will be there surf- surfing against each other because uh, it's, it's new and it makes sense, you know? Um, I just hope, that's my point of view, that they're going to find a, a better spot to surf. Uh, I want I, w- I want the top five to surf like a a huge like a big 
I don't know, like slab or something like that, like something like Tiahupo or pipe or something even more dangerous, you know, like <laughs> throw them, them out, you know, like, okay, now let's go. Um, I just want the, the fans to be like focused on something like, whoa, scary, you know, and to see the potentials of the best world surfer, you know, like they're not only like the best world surfer uh, in the contest, you know, they're the best surfers in the world in free surf as well. Like it's, it's huge. Like when you look at them surfing, when we surf in the free surf during the free surf before every single event, man, it's crazy. You can make a movie out of it. You can make a, like a, one of the best surfing movie you could ever seen. People were throwing airs like different ways. Like I don't even look at them anymore, you know? So <laughs> I just focus on myself, but it's, it's crazy, man. Like people will like lose their mind watching that. Uh, I, I agree, man. I think uh, our production team is hustling to to start making those features because those free surfs are, are remarkable. It's it's like standing on the basketball court watching LeBron James warm up, and but you have a free surf where it's a different energy, one on one heat. But think of the top thirty four all trying to get out there, get their waves. The heat truly does begin at that moment. If someone could land something big in their competitor's face, and they've got a heat coming up, that that's a big blow right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you did mention airs, which has been fun. I I remember seeing you do some big airs, even a big air verse at the U.S. Open. But that brings me to a question on Instagram because there is a really funny clip out there where you're teasing yourself about airs. Uh, Might have been with Seabass. And a, a guy named Jacques Jansen. Uh, did I say that right with a French pronunciation? Jacques? Jacques. Yeah. So he yeah. he's from Sonoma, California. He's a very big fan of the Spartan. He loves your image. He, he thinks you're so interesting. Power turns. But he wants to know about your favorite air. What's your favorite air? And what's the dream air that you would love to land one day? Um... I do a lot of airs at Papara, you know, the beach breaks, uh, a lot of air reverse and stuff. I just try to, to stay busy, you know, try to do something new. But uh, I always felt like the straight airs, you know, like big ramps, like straight airs, like you don't move, you just stay there as high as you can, you know, because you, you pretty much like are in the same motion like the whole time, you know, you don't really move. So it, it, it kind of like lasts longer in your mind. You know, so to me, like a big air, like big straight air could be like the one I I saw. Um, what's his name again? I'm doing it at, at, um, from Vance, the Goofy Footer uh, Charger. Um, oh, um. Like he's, he's like 40 years something. Oh, Nathan Fletcher. Nathan Fletcher. Remember that air he did like not long big ago. Big straight air. Huge, that was insane. Exactly. Yeah. So something like that. Oh, that's so cool. And that just, uh, it looks amazing. But like you said, for the person doing it, like yourself, it's like you're so high and how good would that feel? Instead of being dizzy and spinning around, you actually get to enjoy that view of the height that comes yeah. with it as well, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that is awesome, Michelle. We're loving our time here with our quarantine. You're changing everything in day five for me because uh, we know this is still the beginning. We've got all the way to day 14 to get you get to we've got a little quarantine quiz for you that's going mm -hmm. to come up here you know what before we get to this quarantine quiz we're going to take another quick break we'll finish things up with a spartan right after this 
And we are back. Time for Michelle's quarantine quiz. We've been asking these to everybody so far, Michelle, so we could go through these quick. How many boards did you bring with you to Australia? I brought uh, 12 fire wires, 12 of them. Yeah. Did you reach out to anyone for advice coming into quarantine? And if you did, who were they? What'd they say? Yeah, I, I talked to, um, I, <laughs> uh, to Connor O'Leary. Hey, nice. You know, because, yeah, yeah, because he was, he, was, he was here before. I asked him a few things, a few tips about the food, like the, the, uh, the choice of the, the hotels and stuff. And yeah, he was the one. Perfect. Uh, three of your must-have items for quarantine. Uh, jumping rope phone and uh, a pants. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you can lose it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, what are your goals for this quarantine for the next few days that we have here? Well, it's kind of a while, but till day 14, what are you trying to accomplish? I'm going to try to lose weight, uh, a couple of kilos. Um, I'm on the way, like pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm going to succeed like pretty easy, but, uh, and working on my cardio, I want to be able to go out of the quarantine and just be like a normal surfer. You know, my first surf will be like a normal session. So that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. Amazing goal. Now it's time for your big question. The charter flight trivia question, just to follow up with viewers that watch the Carissa Moore episode. She guessed 84 board bags, and the answer was 92. So she was incredibly close on her answer. For Michelle's question, how many athlete guests were on board the WSL charter flight? So guests include children, uh, but all the guests for are pro surfers. How many, Michelle, were on the flight? Oh, of the pro surfers, right? Not the pro surfers, but their guests. So they're yeah, yeah, they're like, plus uh, ones or their family. Okay. Uh, I say twenty five. Very close. Thirty five guests. Oh, thirty five. Okay. So for the men, pro athletes on the CT, they had twenty seven guests. Uh, for okay. the women, they had eight guests. Total of thirty five. Nice. Not too bad. Uh, Michelle, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, man. You made my day of quarantine so much better. I'm so happy you're there with your family and you're a true legend of the sport, my friend. We, we love every heat you surf and we know that you surf with your heart and your passion. So I can't wait to see you out there at Newcastle. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Heaps. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Caught Inside, where we take you inside the 14-day quarantine with our championship tour surfers. We'll be dropping a new episode every other day, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Our next guest will be Tatiana Weston-Webb. If you've got something you want to hear from Tati, hit me up on Instagram at Joe Trapel. We'll see you then.